Hey, everybody. Welcome to Quizlet, the weekly show where we chat with upcoming Quizzertron panelists. I'm your host, Rebecca Watson, and today I am chatting with a ridiculously talented woman with such a wide range of skills, from biology to teaching to consulting to creating and hosting her own YouTube show and so much more. Uh, Kat Bobineau, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. I am so happy to be a lot on your podcast. I'm so excited. Yeah, I I think you're really going to kill it this week <laughs> on Quizatron because like you have done so much awesome stuff that I, I feel like you're right for this show. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you so much. So first off, today is National Cat Day. So are you doing <laughs> anything special to celebrate? Um, I'm washing clothes. Does that count? <laughs> no, no, that's not how you celebrate at all. Okay. <laughs> Man, you need to get on Twitter. Like, that's not what people are doing. Okay. Mostly petting cats. So I don't know if you're into that or not. I like cats. I will definitely find a cat because I own a dog right now. So I'm going to go find a cat and start petting them. Okay, good. Uh, so like I mentioned, you you seem to have done a million different things and you seem to continue to be doing a million different things these days. But I wanted to start at the beginning and find out what originally got you interested in science as a little girl or as a college student or, you know, where did that start? Wow. Um... Well, I've always had an interest in science. I always thought I wanted to be a veterinarian. I've always loved animals. Um, And then when I was younger, I definitely, definitely loved Bill Nye, the science guy, three, two, one, blast off. Like, I feel like when I was growing up, there was a lot more science, kids science shows that I watched. Yeah. And so that probably was one of the reasons I really got into it. Do you think, I mean, did you have... Uh, role models to look to who I I feel like so many of my role models are maybe the same as yours, but they tended to all be white men. Yes. You know, Bill Nye and Mr. Wizard and all of them. Did you have any black or female or just non-white dude role models that you were able to look to? Not until undergrad. Yeah. When I went to undergrad, that's when I had professors that were not white males. Right. And they were the ones who encouraged me because I went to a very small school, a very small HBCU called Stillman College. Mm-hmm. And so it was a lot more hands-on and the teachers really wanted you to succeed. Yeah. I, I find it interesting when particularly women succeed in the sciences and in other fields, despite a lack of you know, role models who look like us. Do you, do you credit that to your upbringing or are you just the type to take on those types of challenges? You know, what, what do you think made you decide that this is a field for you, even though you're not seeing people who look like you in that field? I will have to say a part of it is, was probably my mother because she put me in as many programs as she possibly could. Yeah. And uh, she was just like, go do it. It's fine. Just because, you know, and I, I guess I never really even questioned the fact that I might have been the only one doing it. Right. But um, yeah, my, I think my mom really pushed me to be like, travel, meet new people and do things that you may not have done before. Oh, that's awesome. I love hearing stories of epic moms because I think they can <laughs> do so much for their daughters. Uh, 
So you uh, you you went to the small college. You started studying biology and particularly herpetology. Is that right? Yes. Well, I I studied biology, but I did do research on snakes as my senior project. Cool. What what made you want to do that? And what exactly was the project? So my like I said, my school is very small, but we're in the same city as a very big school, University of Alabama. And, you know, that's the Crimson Tide. If you follow football, everyone loves them. I don't so. follow football, okay. but I still, I still know about that because okay. it's inescapable. It is. It is, especially when you're there. Yeah. So our schools had a um, matching program where they would match you with someone at University of Alabama to do your research. And um, because we didn't have a lot of research space at our school. So it was a couple of different projects and the herpetology one was the only one I saw that was with animals. So I was like, Mm. cool. I love animals. I'm going to go do the one with snakes. And it was a good project, although I was not aware at the time when I picked it that we'd actually would be sacrificing the snakes. And (laughs) I'm much more of a, hey, let live and be happy. And (laughs) the project was actually sacrificing snakes. So I was like, oh, this is really not what I meant to do. Is is sacrificing the technical term? Because the way you put it, it makes it sound like you accidentally stumbled into like a cult. (laughs) I would say that's more the scientific term of saying we killed the snakes and studied their bodies. Right. So, uh, yeah, I was unaware of that, but yeah. What was the actual research? The actual research was studying the microvilli in the stomach and the, I mean, in the small intestines. So we had Burmese python or yeah, Burmese pythons and we had diamondback water snakes. Burmese pythons eat about once every month. They eat a very big meal and they it takes them about a month to fully digest it. Whereas Burme- um, pipe, I'm sorry, diamondback water snakes is more like humans who eat every day. Yeah. So, which means that their digestion is much faster. So in the small intestines, there's these little finger projections called microvilli. And that's mm-hmm. what takes up all the nutrients when you eat something. And so we were looking at the difference between the microvilli and the diamondback water snake versus the Burmese python. And what we were seeing was that the Burmese python microvilli actually extended much longer and they took up more nutrients. And so they digested a little bit slower, but they took more nutrients, which allowed the snake to survive a whole month without eating another meal. Yeah. And they get more out of every meal. Exactly. Ah, cool. So you decided ultimately that sacrificing snakes was not your bag. Uh, So where did you go from there? So I went from there um, after I graduated. I came back to California for a short amount of time and worked as a chemistry and English tutor. And then I went to um, back. I went to Texas for a little bit just I'm kind of like a gypsy. I just get up and go sometimes. <laughs> you just Texas was just calling you. <laughs> right. so. My best okay. friend was moving there. I was like, yeah, I don't have to stay here. I'll just move to Texas. <laughs> and then, um, but then the really good thing about going to a small school and knowing your professors, two of my professors, which were actually a married couple, got a, a job opportunity at University of Connecticut. 
And um, before I went to Connecticut, my professor got me an internship in neurobiology at University of Vermont. So I went there for the summer and I studied neurobiology. I studied three-day-old chicken embryos. And then um, I actually went to University of Connecticut for a PhD program, but it was in microbiology, which really wasn't my field. And uh, it was very cold. <laughs> it and is I, famously cold there. Yes. Yeah. And I realized I was such a Cali girl because I was like, oh, no, no, I can't do this. No, <laughs> I can't do it. So back to California then? Yes. So then, no, actually back to Texas. I was a vet tech for a couple of years. I uh, worked with, I had my fill of kittens and puppies and it was really great. There was no money in it. And so I said, okay, now it's time for me to get a master's. Then that was back to California at Cal State East Bay. I did my master's in biology. It was supposed to be a project on mountain lions. I had gotten all the okay. And then the nonprofit I was supposed to work for fell under. And I was like, oh man, okay. But then that's when I got into, um, I've been living in the South. I, I had went to the East Coast for a short amount of time. No one ever questioned me being a scientist until I got home. And now I'm in California. Really? Yes, I'm in the Bay Area. That's supposed to be super liberal. Yeah. And everyone I met and said, "Oh, I'm a biologist." Well, you don't look like a biologist, or you don't look like a scientist. And I was like, "Oh, what's a biologist look like?" Exactly. I was like, I didn't know that there was a a criteria. So, um, yeah. So that's when I got more into. Um, the image of a scientist and who what people are really looking at. And I was like, okay, now I want to change that. Media is right. not doing us any favors. Yeah, it it really isn't. And uh, I I think I was just reading, I don't know, remember if it was you that said it or uh, Danielle Lee. I was reading a, a synopsis she did about you, promoting you. And uh, she was talking about how, um, if you ask someone to name a non-fictional female scientist, mm-hmm. they often cannot come up with a single name, which is infuriating. So I don't know, like if you, uh, are you, are you, do you have that in mind? Like you need to be the next, like the, the Bill Nye, who's finally not a white man. Right. <laughs> that is my dream. Not gonna lie, that is the dream is to do national television on a on a scale of showing us what other scientists look like. I just don't want to do it in the same fashion as maybe Bill Nye or Neil deGrasse Tyson. I adore them. However, media portrays them as a higher power power of intelligence and that they know everything. And they sit them down and question them about climate change and um, vaccines and all of these different things. And it's like, well, they're not, they have a PhD in one specific field. At least Neil deGrasse Tyson does. Right. And Bill, Bill Nye, Nye doesn't even have that. Yeah. Bill Nye has an engineering <laughs> degree. Yeah. Yet we placate them as being the authority of all science. Right. And that's not a true statement. Whereas me, if I was to do a program, or I do want to do a program, but it's not even highlighting me, it's highlighting everyone else and showing you different people in different fields. And that's that's sort of what your YouTube channel is about, right? Uh, Correct. Uh, Tell me a little bit about 
coming up with that and, and producing that? Well, it was a fluke, as most of my life is, but um, I was invited to be on someone else's show at a local filming uh, place in San Francisco. And as I was talking about what I was interested in, the guy who was doing the show, he said, you know what? You should have your own show. I was like, I want to. It's the dream. And he was like, you know what? How about I pay a year membership for you and you can come here and film your show? I was like, oh. Oh, wow. Okay. So he did. And at first I was like, man, am I going to have enough people find someone every week to film? But then when you put it in out like on social media and you ask your friends, I have more than enough people. Yeah. Who really wanted to share their story. That's awesome. Are you still producing that? No, unfortunately, my life got convoluted and (laughs) I wasn't able to do it as much. And um, I want to go back to it, though. That's my goal. But I want to do it on a bigger scale. So it was kind of a low key membership, local programming, but I want to do it on a bigger scale. Right. Well, and you're, you've also worked with KQED, right? Doing yes. segments for them? I actually worked at KQED for one year, and I was pitching my idea to them the entire year, and they did not want to hear it. Oh, they, no. already, they had their own, and I love KQED, I'm going to put that out there, and I, lo- I still have a lot of friends at KQED, but in KQED's science department, they were not feeling me. They didn't want to hear what I had to say. They were like, here, you help us work on this project. We don't want to hear about your project. Right. And um, it was actually the director of the KQD Arts who really liked my idea and gave me the funding Mm -hmm. to do one video. (laughs) And I did the video. It's on KQD Education YouTube channel. And to this date, it's one of the highest watched videos with over 5,000 views. Nice. And it's about a PhD in neuroscience who's also an opera singer. And it's showing her in both of her lives. Would that happen to be Indre Viscontas? Yes, it is. Of course. (laughs) Yes. I know Indre very well. And uh, yeah, she's awesome. She is. She's so amazing. And what I kept telling them was, you know, they put people in science on media as one entity who are nerdy white boys who don't go outside, can't talk to the average person, and no one wants this Big Bang Theory and nobody wants to be them. Right. But if you show them a true scientist and what they do outside of their role as a scientist, you would see that they are very well-rounded people. Yeah. And, you know, maybe too well-rounded, though, because uh, when I first met Indre, she was the most... <laughs> Uh, intimidating person I've ever met because <laughs> she's she's extremely nice, which makes it even worse. Yes, Because uh, yes. I'm like, wow, you're an opera singer, neuroscientist who's funny and charming, and I hate you, but I love right, you, you know, yes, exactly. So. I was like, oh, so you do a million things, and you have a PhD in one thing and a master's degree in another thing. Oh, okay, well. Right. We no, can all no be pressure. <laughs> <laughs> So what are you doing these days then? You're no longer at KQED. Uh, the YouTube show's on hold. Uh, what's what's going on in your world? Okay. So I, um, <laughs> I was working at a, a nonprofit that helped, and I was helping people with fixing their credit. I kind of got fell into finance somehow. Um, oh, 
right. And then in July, I went with a group of people. It's called School of Rock. And they paid for me to go to New Zealand to learn about geology. Oh, and that's amazing. Yes. Oh, I, I know. I don't want people to hate on me, but I'm going to be no. there. It was amazing. <laughs> and New Zealand is so great. I've been there a couple times. It's my favorite place in the world. Oh, it's so beautiful. I've never been. And one of the ladies who's invited me, she's from UC Berkeley. She um, she said, oh, you want to stay like another week with me and just travel New Zealand? I was like, of course I do. Yes. <laughs> so I was gone three weeks. And my job didn't like it. And I was like, okay, but I'm back. And so one of the ladies who's at Columbia, who was instrumental in me going, she called me about a month ago and was like, hey, you want to go to Alaska for a week and do be on this research boat in the Bering Sea and teach undergrads about being a scientist? I was like, yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> so then I went to Alaska for a week and my job was like, no, we're done with you. You're doing too much. So yeah. now I'm looking for something new, but in the interim, I realized it was very, very difficult to for me to raise money to do my show. And every producer I met was a man who was like, let's peg you as the sexy scientist. Right. Let's put you in a bikini <laughs> and a lab coat. And I was like, no, that no, it's not okay. You never, I don't think anyone's ever asked Bill Nye to be in a, you know, swimsuits. I hope not. <laughs> yeah. So, so why are you asking me? No. Yeah. I had a, um, a, a possible TV deal ages ago with a producer who, um, pitched this idea of, um, basically it involved pillow fights. Oh. <laughs> like, it was a science show, but he's like, Hey, and you're all girls and you like live together and you know, you, you do girl stuff, like have pillow fights in your underwear. And I was just like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. Exactly. So, yeah, I feel you. That's it's it's tough out there. It's I will say though that like, you know, I became basically a full-time science communicator in the same way that you are. I didn't uh get the trips to New Zealand and Alaska <laughs> at first, but I did start, you know, I was working as a copywriter and I uh, started getting speaking engagements around the U.S. that I would have to go to, and I quickly ran out of time off. And they, uh, I got another one like for the end of the year or something, and they were like, "Yeah, you're you're out of vacation time. You can't go." And I was like, "Oh, okay, then right." I quit. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and it was terrifying, but ultimately rewarding. And it sounds like it's going to be rewarding. I hope too. so. That's kind of my goal right now is to do that and just be a full-time science communicator. But I want to do it by filming, you know? So I got an opportunity to be on the Sekuliak, which is the research vessel from University of Alaska Fairbanks and going to Alaska. And I'm like, how cool would it yeah. be, though, if I filmed, you know, the whole boat, what it's like to eat in the mess hall while there's waves going and trying to walk. And here's the room you have yeah. to sleep in. But at the same time, you're seeing wildlife. You're seeing you're, you're doing research on the boat with all the machines. Like, I feel like students would be more interested in it if they really saw what it was like to do it. Yeah. So Absolutely. my goal, I just did a bunch of paperwork for a nonprofit, waiting for it to all go through. But I'm like, if I can raise money through the nonprofit, 
and go and film what it's like to be on that boat or to film a geologist in New Zealand and really show students, you know, did you even know geology was a job that you can study volcanoes, that you can study icebergs and all this stuff is out there for you if you go into science? Yeah, I think that's a remarkable idea. So is the nonprofit thing, would that be like a grant where you could go and and do all this? That's what I'm trying to do. That's what I want to do. Yeah. And since I've met some people at Berkeley, USC, Columbia, and I'm hoping I'm going to be tapping them soon. Like, hey, don't you want to be on a grant with me? (laughs) Yeah. Work those those connections, you know, everybody can help. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, that's fantastic. I'm excited for you. I can't wait to see what you do next. Although the very next thing you're doing, of course, is Quizzatron, and I am super excited to have you. I am super excited. You're going to Thank you. I I, I can't wait. It seems like it's going to be so much fun. Uh, Real quick, tell people where they can find you, social media, website, whatever you would like to plug. Well, I am one of the easiest people to find because everything is my name. So it's Kat Bobino, C-A-T-B-O-B-I-N-O. So you can go to catbobino.com. That's my website. And if you want to find me on social media, it is Cat Bobino Twitter, Cat Bobino Instagram. I have an in the know one. I need to use it more. I'm not going to lie. But the best way to find me is Cat Bobino. Awesome. So our next Quizatron is going to be this Thursday, November 1st at Piano Fight in San Francisco. Tickets are up now on Eventbrite. There is a link in the show notes for this episode. Uh, Kat, thank you so much for joining me. I hope you enjoy the rest of National. Yes, I'm about to go find me a cat like within the next hour. (laughs) It's my goal. Excellent. (laughs) All right. See you soon. Okay. Thank you.